Good morning. I am Brad Spence. I am the director of worship here at Grace Fellowship Church. And it's my great privilege this morning to introduce to you Bob Coughlin. Bob is currently serving at Sovereign Grace Music as the director there for Sovereign Grace Ministries. And our church, as well as many other churches, have been richly blessed by the gospel-centered songs, CDs, and events that Sovereign Grace has provided. And at the center of all that is a man who, first of all, is a passionate follower of Christ. And you don't have to be around Bob very long, his family, his ministry, his leadership, to realize that this man is deeply affected by the gospel and Christ. He's also a writer. His book and blog titled Worship Matters has been extremely helpful for both those who are leading and those who are participating in worship each week in their churches. He has written many songs and produced many songs that we have enjoyed and sang over the years. And lastly, he is an equipper. He loves the local church, and he has a heart to help pastors, worship leaders, musicians, and congregations. He's had a tremendous impact on my thinking about worship, my practice of worship, and I'm confident that he's going to better equip this congregation to worship God in spirit and truth. So help me in welcoming this morning, Bob Coughlin. It is a great joy to be here this morning. And I'm getting used to like multiple service thing. Just, I thought I just did this a few minutes ago. <laughs> But you're an entirely different group of people, and uh, I told the 815 service, it is the, of any early church service, that this is the loudest singing I've ever heard. And you guys almost sang as loud as them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You, you, you actually sang quite loud yourselves. <laughs> and that is the theme of my message this morning. I uh, forget what you call that. I call it, Why Do We Sing? And it's appropriate for this series that we're in. If you'd open your Bibles or turn on your Bible, or whatever, however you do that, uh, to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. There are a number of ways I know this is a, a, a Christ-exalting, God-honoring church. I pastor, help pastor at a church in Louisville, Kentucky, right down the road. I drove up this morning, uh, Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, and there was C.J. Mahaney, Gary Ricucci, Jeff Perswell, Brian Chesmore, those are the other elders. And you have blessed us with three couples and uh, Andrew and Leon Servant, uh, Tyson and Debbie Ziegler, and um, I knew this would happen. Yes, uh, Abby and Taylor Mason. Taylor, I think, came from here. Uh, wow, wow, thank you, thank you. Uh, if you got any more, send them our way. <laughs> what, what godly servants, what joyful servants... All of them, they just love Jesus Christ and love the local church. So we have benefited from what is taking place in this church. And I pray that as a result of our time together, uh, we would be able to give something back of, of the grace that's come to us through you. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a very observant person to recognize that people like to sing. 
I was at the Bats game last night, and we were singing all kinds of songs. Um, you know, we sang Star Spangled Banger. We sang Take Me Out to the Ballpark. We, we just sing. People like to sing. Uh, so it's sporting events, birthdays. Sometimes you'd be in a restaurant and well-meaning waiters and waitresses who obviously were never had any musical education uh, try to sing Happy Birthday and think, this is blessing somebody. And I'm thinking, who? Who? Who is it blessing? We sing in weddings and funerals. How many of you have been part of a choir? See, look at that. This place is full of people who have been in choirs. We sing in the shower. We sing in the car. We, we have Broadway musicals. We, we sing all the time. But Christians especially sing. And what I want to explore this morning is why do we sing? Why do we take this time in our meetings to lift up our voices in song? And what I also want to help us see is why what we do when we sing is different from any other kind of singing. So what I experienced here this morning was different from what I experienced when I was singing Take Me Out to the Ballpark last night at the Bats game. Not just for the words. There are a lot of reasons it's different, which we're going to explore this morning. I like to read about this kind of stuff. Um, and I read once a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. It was uh, by a scientist and musician named Daniel Levitin. And in one chapter, my favorite things, he talks about why we like the music we do. It was fascinating. He said, uh, one-year-olds, like infants, like the music they were exposed to in the womb. So if you want your child to like classical music, just, you know, put the speakers on or whatever and just play classical music and they'll come out liking classical music for about a year. <laughs> and then uh, in the second year, you know, as toddlers, we start to like the music of our culture, especially the simple music, which is why every culture has nursery rhymes. As we grow, we start liking more complex things. And then as, we, as we're teenagers, our hormones are excited and active. And so everything has exaggerated significance. Which is why the music that we like as teenagers, we tend to like for the rest of our lives. I found that to be true. 40, 50 years later, I still like the music that I knew as a teenager. Now, you don't have to be an expert in music or have a music degree to know what kind of music you like. We know what we like. We like what we know. And we can tell someone with a music degree, such as myself, well, I really like this song. I'll tell you why it's a bad song. And you'll say, well, I don't care. I like it. And I, I really have no response. I mean, okay, great. I like it. But have you ever wondered what kind of music God likes? That's a pretty important question. What kind of music does God like? My, one of my fears is that we're going to get to heaven. I'm going to find out that God likes opera. <laughs> like that's his favorite music. Only opera here. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it will be beautiful. Uh, but, but it's an important question. To ask, what, what does God think about the music we use in, in worship? Does he like our singing? What purpose does he have for it? Is it some purpose that we might be missing? And why do we worship God in song at all? Well, those are some of the questions uh, I'm going to seek to address. Because many of us, if not all of us, have preconceptions about music in the church and outside the church, that we bring with us. They're rooted in our past experiences and they govern what we expect or don't expect when we sing. So we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, specifically the last two verses, but I want to, I want to set the context and then, then I'm going to read it. 
One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae was because there were false teachers who were adding things to Christ, saying Christ will be better if you add this, which is absolutely untrue. Anytime we add something to Christ, we take something away. So Paul wanted to root them in Jesus Christ. He wanted to root them in the gospel of Christ. So that's what he's doing. In chapter 1, he says that Christ is the image of the invisible God who has reconciled a people to God through his blood shed on the cross. He's reminding them, this is what your lives are built on. And then in chapter 2, he says, we are to be rooted in Christ. We are to walk in Christ. We are to be built up in Christ. So it's not just a one-time experience. It's your entire life. And then in chapter 3, we read that we have been raised up with Christ and now he is our life. So he's trying to root us in Christ. And then as is typical in the letter that Paul writes, he starts with this lofty cosmic theological stuff and then brings it down to, so what does this mean for the way you live your life? And that's what he starts doing in verse 5. Of chapter 3. And we're not going to read 5 through 11. We're going to start in verse 12. He's going to be describing what a Christ-centered, gospel-driven life together looks like in a pagan culture. And he's going to talk about music in that process. And what we're going to learn, if you want to sum up what I'm going to say this morning, it's this. We worship God together in song to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. That's why we do it. We worship God together in song to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel with God and with each other. Our singing is meant to be more than a warm-up to the sermon. And I can tell in this church that's not what it is. It's meant to be more than a means of drawing crowds. If we do this kind of music, we'll really bring them in. The music on Sunday morning isn't meant to be a platform for frustrated musicians who can't find a gig on Saturday night. So they say, well, we'll just play Sunday morning. That's good. I got a good gig. And I know people for whom that's true. And it's so sad. Our singing is meant to be more than a personal emotional experience. It's meant to deepen the relationships that we enjoy through the gospel. So let's see if we can see that here. I'm going to read Colossians 3, 12 through 17. This is the most important thing you'll hear this morning. This is the word of the living God to to us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He's rooting them in the gospel. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule. In your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying through these words, your word. I pray you would enable me to preach clearly and faithfully. And I pray above all that your spirit would cause Jesus to be more glorious in our eyes, in our hearts, and in our lives. We pray this for the glory of your name, in the name of Jesus. We're going to focus on verses 16 and 17, and the ESV, English Standard Version, which is what I was reading, captures the structure there. It's one command with two ways of fulfilling that command. Command is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what God wants to happen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It happens two ways. First is by teaching and admonishing one another, and the other is by singing to God. So that's how the, the, the verses fall out. We're going to look at them and discover that there are three reasons, at least three reasons why God wants us to worship him together in song. Here's the first. We worship God together in song to impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. To impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. Verse 16 begins, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching And admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That word of Christ is the gospel. It's the word about Christ. It's what Paul was so concerned that the Colossians get. And that God is so concerned that we get. He wants the word of Christ dwelling in us richly as we sing. One theologian, Everett Ferguson, said it this way, Christ is the ground and the content of Christian song. Christians sing about Christ. It should seem fairly obvious, shouldn't it? But it's not always the case. Christians sing about Christ. If they sing about God, it is especially about what God has done through Christ. If we sing about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. And I would say as the one who points to Christ. If we sing about instruction to one another, it is about the life in Christ. It's all connected to Christ. Now, the focus here is on teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching and admonishing is not describing an emotional experience first. It's a mental experience. It's an educational experience. It's an intellectual activity. It's talking about the horizontal element of what we do when we sing. Through teaching and admonishing, God says... We're to enable the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Now, now, you guys have Cinnabon stores. You know what a Cinnabon is? Yes, yes, of course I do. I'd like to get one right now. As I'm walking through a mall sometimes, I'll just be minding my own business and suddenly I will be struck. My senses will be overloaded with this amazing smell. It's yeasty, it's sugary, it's cinnamony, it's fresh, it's doughy. And I'm thinking, there's a Cinnabon store right near here. And sure enough, I walk 50 yards and there I am in front of the Cinnabon store. And as pleasant as that smell is, you know what I'm thinking? 
I want that Cinnabon dwelling in me richly. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. You know why? Because there's a big difference between smelling a Cinnabon, which is a very pleasant experience, and having it dwelling in me richly. It's, it's really different. Okay, so what Paul is saying, you can come into a meeting like this and you can smell the gospel. You can hear other people singing about it, talking about it, and it's not dwelling in you richly. That's what God's after. He wants it to dwell in us richly. So the Colossians would have understood Paul to be saying that God intends the gospel of Christ to to affect and influence and shape and govern their lives. So, So why does he start talking about music? In the middle of that. Why not just leave it at teaching and admonishing? Well, because one of the ways we teach and admonish is through singing. How, how does that happen? How does God use music, our singing together, to impress the gospel of Christ on our minds? Well, one reason is that it, music helps us remember words. It's a scientifically proven fact one that scientists are are all the time discovering more about, that music helps us remember things in a way that words alone don't. Music has this this ability. Well, Well, our brains, I would say, are hardwired to recognize and categorize and remember patterns in music better than in just words alone. So you you see this all over. If if you know anybody with dementia or Alzheimer's, sometimes they won't know who their spouse is. They won't know who their children are. But if you start singing a song that they learned when they were a child, they'll join in instantly. My mother-in-law had had Alzheimer's. That's exactly what she did. She didn't know who I was. But she would join with other other ladies in in the home she was in for the last few months of her life. And she'd just sing all the songs by heart. How does that happen? Well, that's the way God made our brains. He, very interesting story in Deuteronomy 31, where God himself shows us that music helps us remember things. The Israelites are about to enter the promised land. And God is telling Moses, when they enter the promised land, they will deny me, they will turn away from me, they will give their hearts to idols. So, Moses, I want you to teach them this song. And he says, so that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. God taught them a song that they would remember that would judge them later as they sang it. In fact, before people knew how to read or write, poems and music were often used to pass on things like treaties and blessings and prophecies to help remember, help people remember what was taking place. So that's, that's the power of music. Singing also helps us meditate on the words we're singing more profoundly. So when we're singing the gospel, it helps us meditate on the gospel more profoundly. It it, it stretches out words for us so we can take more time with them. If I was to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, I communicated that to you, but what, what does music do? Music slows it down. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. See, that's a point we'd like tend to just like pass over real quickly. Saved a wretch like me. Okay, I once was lost, but now, but music stretches it out. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Isn't that great? See, you're not thinking, he is so weird. It's taking him so long to say those words. We don't do that. Why? Because we're singing them. That's what singing does. It, it gives us breaks in between phrases that help us think about what we're singing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. See those little pauses that enable us to think about it? There's other songs that have much broader gaps, which are totally appropriate and totally feel totally normal because it enables us to think about the words we're singing. Sometimes it helps us repeat things without sounding like idiots. So if I say... It is well, it is well, with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. You're thinking, like, what is his problem? Right? I'm, if I'm just saying it, if I was talking to you, if I was talking to you like that, like that, and repeating everything and repeating everything I was saying, I was saying, wouldn't that be odd? Wouldn't that be odd? It would be. But this is the great thing. Singing it makes it totally normal. It is well, it is well, with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well, with my soul. In fact, it even makes it enjoyable that we can say those things and remind ourselves again and again. And when you sing that hymn, you do it three times. If you read the last chorus, you do it, of course, you do it four times. And it feels totally normal. What's happening? It's enabling the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. It's impressing the gospel upon our minds. Now that's different from having musical experiences dwell in us richly. We don't gather to be impressed with the arrangements or the bands or someone's vocal or the drummer, drum part. We gather to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Because music, played and sung passionately and well, can by itself have an emotional effect on us. But that's different. emotion would I possibly be trying to communicate? This is a Q&A. This is, there are no wrong answers. Peace. Yeah, peace, calmness, tranquility, serenity. That's exactly right. But you have no idea why I'm peaceful. 
I may be thinking, I can't wait for that nap this afternoon. That is just really putting me at rest right now. See, you have no idea what that music is saying apart from words. Music cannot communicate truth by itself. It can just communicate emotion. Music can't tell us that God became flesh to redeem us from our sin. can't. Only words can do that. So God wants the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. He wants the gospel of Christ impressed upon our minds, which is why teaching and admonishing one another is connected in this verse with singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're doing as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.19 says that we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, obviously, there's teaching and admonishing going on right now. And this is the primary way that the word of God is conveyed to us as we gather. But it also happens when we sing. It's taking place when we sing. And it's why the words we sing matter. And it's why, your church is a lot like ours, you tend to sing wordy songs. You know, I find it so interesting. Sometimes someone comes up to me and says, you know, I just like the worship. Like you sing so many words. Like I can't worship God with so many words. And I say to him, you know what? God is so great. He's so glorious. He's so amazing. You just can't sum him up in a two-minute pop song. He's bigger than that. This is what he gave us to describe himself. There are a lot of words here. And the glory of God cannot be summed up in in a few words. It takes a lot. So it's why we sing a lot of words. And we sing about what Christ has done. Because we want the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And we want that gospel impressed upon our minds. So as worshipers, as those who come in on a Sunday morning, we are responsible to focus more on the truths that we're singing than the music we're hearing. They actually work together. They're meant to work together. Music isn't meant to undermine the word, but to serve it. So singing together first impresses the gospel of Christ on our minds. And in in doing so, it deepens the relationship we enjoy with God and each other. Second, point two, We sing together to impress the gospel of Christ on our hearts. So beginning with the mind, the head, moving to the heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, here it is, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That last phrase, with thankfulness in your hearts, might be more accurately translated in grace because that word for thankfulness is the word for grace in grace singing in your hearts to God so theologian Gordon Fee writes in his epic work you know it's epic because this quote is from page 655 (laughs) the uh, his epic work God's empowering presence this is what he says thus the focus is not so much when we sing on our attitude toward God as we sing, but on our awareness of his attitude toward us that prompts such singing in the first place. We're thinking about what God has done for us. Apart from us, he's, he's sent Jesus to die in our place, to bear our sin, to bear his wrath, so that we could be forgiven and know him and experience his love forever. And that makes us want to sing. So singing is a way of expressing that gratefulness 
in our hearts as we consider the grace God has shown us in Christ. John Piper has said, and I would guess you're familiar with that name, one of the greatest pastor teachers of our generation. He said, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. I'll tell you this, there is no greater reality to sing about than the fact that there is a God who created us and we rebelled against him. We turned away from him. We rejected his presence and his rule. And God himself came in Jesus Christ to live a perfect life that we could never live, to bear our sins upon himself, to receive the wrath of God in our place, to be raised up from the dead, ascend to his father's right hand and intercede for us so that we might be sure we are forgiven and adopted and will spend eternity at God's right hand forever. That's reality. And you just can't talk about it. You got to sing about it. That's what John Piper's saying. It just, it just wouldn't work for us to just get together and just recite words to songs and think, oh yeah, that's really getting at it. No, we have to sing. We have to sing. So it expresses what they're... Singing also it engages our hearts. It, it, it stirs up affection in our hearts. Have you ever come into a meeting and thought, I just don't feel that great. I don't know. I wonder where, where's God? And you start singing and it's like, oh yeah, I remember. I I remember. I do that lots of mornings. I wake up feeling like a pagan and I you know, start my day and I start singing to myself and I just remind myself of who God is and what he's done for me in Christ and how glorious he is and how kind and merciful. And all of a sudden my perspective changes and my emotions are different. Well, that's, that's what happens when we sing. So Jonathan Edwards, a few hundred years earlier, says the duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. That's what they do. So singing both expresses and encourages affections in our hearts for God in response to the gospel. Now, when the Bible uses the word heart, may know this. It's not talking about a physical heart. It's not talking about a little piece of us. It's talking about all of us. It's God's way of saying, I want you to respond with all of you to me, to what I've done. So it's not just our voices. It's our bodies. It's our faces. It's everything saying, thank you, because we're singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. We read a lot of commentaries on that. And, you know, people have put hundreds of hours, probably thousands of hours in trying to figure out what does Paul mean? We don't know. We don't know exactly what he means. But it is one way of expressing a fullness, a completion, a totality. So Paul's saying, look, you need to find every kind of song you can to, to enable the word of Christ to dwell in richly. Because here's the reality, God's glory can't be summed up in one musical style. I know that might come as a shock to some of you. Well, no, I thought that like God only liked hymns. Well, he does like hymns, but he likes modern worship stuff too. 
He likes all kinds of music. Not, not, not every kind of music is appropriate for congregation. Some are better than others. But Paul is saying, look, find every kind of music you can. Because God's so great and he's so glorious, you're going to need a lot of kinds of music. And music helps us express a lot of different kinds of emotion. It could be awe, sorrow for sin, peace, trust. But this side of the cross and resurrection, the predominant theme of our singing is going to be gratefulness to God for the finished work of Christ. Do you ever wonder, why do we sing so many songs about the cross here? And I'm just, I just know you do. If you've been influenced by us, I know you do. Why do we do that? Well, because that's so amazing. It never gets old. I've been a Christian for 42 years. It only gets better. Wait, wait, you're telling me that like God, like who made me, and then I spit in his face? Like he came himself through, through like the birth canal of a woman he created? And, and he, like, he lived a life on this earth, like not as royalty, but like as a poor person? And then he, then he like took punishment for every sin that I've ever committed and will commit already? And they were all in the future when he did this? And he was murdered by those he created unjustly. He did that for me. And then he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He, he was vindicated. And he's still living. He's reigning. He's at his father's right hand interceding for me through his finished work. One day I'm going to see his face. Yeah, don't you have anything better than that? Is that it? Is that all you got? What? What are we thinking? It's so amazing. God wants that to dwell in our hearts richly. He's wanting us to just smell it. He wants it to dwell in us richly in our minds and in our hearts. So, so when we talk about our hearts, it's showing in our hearts. It's not just in here. It's out here as well. You know, Psalm 34, verse 5 says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. That's why whenever I'm with a band, and your band does a great job of this, I always encourage the instrumentalists to sing. Let people see what you're excited about. Let people see what moves you. Don't, don't keep it in. If people looked at you when you sang, what would they see? Would they see that you're amazed by what God has done? Or would they, or would they be thinking something else? Boy, they sure look distracted. Boy, they sure look sad. They look grumpy. I mean, I've led, uh, you know, for a lot of years. And yeah, you're looking out at some people just think, like, what's going on? What? I mean, they're singing these amazing words, but, but their face is like this. <laughs> and, and sometimes, here's the ironic thing. Sometimes people come up to me and say, that was so great. And I'm thinking, you enjoyed it? <laughs> so so just, that's just an encouragement to you. To just ask yourself, what am I communicating? Is my heart overflowing to my face, to my body? You know, some of you have never done anything expressive. Uh, You know, God's worthy. He's worthy. All right. So we sing to impress the gospel, the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ on our, in our minds. We sing to impress the gospel of Christ on our hearts. Third point, we sing to impress the gospel of Christ on our lives. Not just our minds and our hearts, but our, our lives. And that's where Paul moves to in verse 17. He says, 
talks about singing, and then he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, in everything, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we don't move on from the gospel. We don't sing about the gospel here and then live our lives whatever way we please. We're to live in light of it. We're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So how, do we, how, how does singing impress the gospel upon our lives? Well, one thing it does is it deepens our unity in Christ. When we're doing our thing throughout the week, we're the church scattered. But when we're the church gathered, we remembered, oh yeah, we're the people of God. And that gives us faith for living that way. Singing doesn't create our unity. It expresses it and deepens it. Because our unity comes because of what Jesus has done. Not because we like the same kinds of music or we shop at the same stores, or we go to the same websites, or we wear the same kind of clothes. That's not what unites us. What unites us is the fact that we have one Savior who has broken down, torn down the veil that separated us from God. And now, as one new man, we come before God. That's what we do are saying when we sing. And singing reminds us of that. It helps us remember. A few verses earlier, Paul had just said, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's the harmony that's been made possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're a church. So if you're at odds with someone this morning, don't think of all the things you don't like about them, all the ways you're different. Think of the fact that you have the same Savior. And one of you doesn't need him more or less than the other. We all need Jesus to see God. And he's come to save us. So singing reflects that unity. Singing also reminds us what our lives are about. Jesus Christ. The goal of having great singing experiences is not just to want to have another one next week. It's to prepare us for life, the way we live. Well, how does singing do that? Well, say you battle condemnation, shame, guilt. You're struggling with a sin you committed years ago. Or maybe a pattern of sin you're involved in right now that you've confessed but just aren't finding victory over. Well, in the middle of the meeting, you find yourself singing. When Satan tempts me to despair. Oh, yeah, all the time he's doing that. And tells me of the guilt within. Well, of course he would because there's so much guilt in there. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. How could that happen? Well, because God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I can live in the good of that. I want to live in the good of that. Singing prepares me for it. Singing reminds me of it. Suppose you're going through difficulties right now. Suffering. Maybe it's significant suffering. Maybe you're battling cancer, some some life-dominating disease. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you have a rebellious child. And you're asking, God, why? Why am I going through this? I don't want to go and sing with people. I don't go worship God. You, my life's too hard. Singing can help prepare you for what you're going through, what you might encounter this week. 
How does it do that? Well, we sing lines like this. No guilt in life. No fear in death. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. That's everything. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. It's a good reminder, isn't it? Some of us needed that reminder this morning. No power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck you from his hand. So we sing, impresses the gospel upon our lives. Maybe you're battling sin and the flesh and you just can't get over it. I don't know if you sing this song here, but there's a song we sing, Grace Unmeasured. You're reminded, grace abounding strong and true makes me long to be like you. It turns me from my selfish pride to love the cross on which you died. It impresses the gospel upon our lives. And then finally, singing impresses the gospel upon our lives by preparing us for the life to come. Singing together, worshiping God in song, is one of the clearest foretastes of the powerful, glorious, unending songs that we're going to be singing to God and to the Lamb around the throne. Our singing now is a foretaste of that song. But obviously, it's very different. Because right now, we have some limitations. We're limited by time. We don't have enough time to sing as much as we want. We don't have the strength to sing as long as we want. Our bodies get tired. We don't have the understanding to even perceive everything that God has done, who he is. We, just, we're, we're, we see through a glass darkly. But brothers and sisters, there's coming a day when those limitations will be lifted. And you won't be trying to squeeze in three meetings on a Sunday. You won't. You won't even have to squeeze in one meeting on a Sunday. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I'm thinking, like, we'll get, we'll get together, maybe a few thousand, or 10,000, we'll get together, we'll start singing. You know, a couple weeks later, somebody will say, hey, do you want to do something else? <laughs> because we won't have any limitations that way. You know, we won't have any limitations in our strength. We'll have glorified bodies. Like, you know, push-ups will be no problem. <laughs> and singing for a long time will be no problem. And we won't have limitations in our understanding. We'll always be growing in our knowledge of who God is. But we'll see him as he really is. And we'll be like him. So what is that going to be like? I I don't know. But there's one man who spent a lot of time thinking about it. Randy Alcorn. He's written a book called Heaven. He's written a number of books that have to do with the theme of heaven. And one in particular, Edge of Eternity. He writes about what it's going to be like around the throne at the end. And I'm just going to take a few minutes to read a portion of that. Make a few comments. And then we're going to sing which would seem only the, the only appropriate thing to do after this message. Uh, so here it is. Just, you can close your eyes if you want. Keep them open. Uh, this, is, this is a sanctified imagination, what it will be like. The army began to sing, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I added my voice to theirs and sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice, amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. But from then on, I was lost in the choir, 
hardly hearing my voice and not needing to. Our voice is broken into 32 distinct parts, and instinctively I knew which one of them I was made to sing. We sing for joy at the work of your hands. We stand in awe of you. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience, I thought for a moment, for audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony, one grand rhapsodic melody and powerful sustaining harmonies. No, wait. There was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd been no more aware of it than a fish is aware of water. I looked at the great throne, and upon it sat the king, the audience of one. The smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. And when we completed our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his great arms and clapped his scarred hands together. In thunderous applause, shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. His applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. The king's approval is all that matters. It's all that ever will. We sing for the glory and honor and pleasure of Jesus Christ who has given us a reason to sing. And as the word of Christ dwells richly in our minds and our hearts, the relationships we enjoy through the gospel are deepened for our good and for his glory. I hope you've seen that worshiping God in song isn't something merely for musically trained, gifted people. It's not just a nice idea. The question isn't, has God given me a voice? The question is, has God given me a song? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ who's received forgiveness through his shed blood on the cross, you have a song to sing. You have a song to sing. And brothers and sisters, we're going to be singing it forever. So why not get a good start now? Every Sunday, it's a dress rehearsal for something that we'll be doing forever. We won't be singing all the time, but Revelation shows us we're going to be singing. And it's going to be amazing. All because it's enabling us to have the word of Christ and Jesus himself dwell in us richly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to sing. Thank you, more importantly, that we have something to sing about. (laughs) Someone to sing about. God, give us grace to sing in such a way that the gospel is impressed upon our minds and impressed upon our hearts and impressed upon our lives so that everyone who knows us may see that we're not simply singing to enjoy singing, but we are singing to bring glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your precious Son, our Redeemer. And be glorified as we sing now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.